0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hey, Man, It's OK. We are here with special guest Keith Barnes to talk about the importance of veterans seeking help and seeking therapy. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Well,
0: welcome. I appreciate you you know, joining us today and taking time out of your day. I know that uh, we tried connecting last week, but it was a little bit busy.
1: Yeah, we've been real busy here in the office, and I didn't know I was going to need a computer for this. I thought I could do it on my phone. (laughs) I mean, my phone is a a small computer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the time to be here, and we're excited to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, uh, good to see you as well.
0: Yeah, you too. For our watchers and listeners, Keith and I have known each other for several years when we became acquainted at a Seahawks bar in Tucson, Arizona, which neither of us are there anymore. But we've stayed connected over the years and even have like seen each other when we've gone to each other's states where we're at now, which has been really nice. And uh, I asked him if he would be on and he was kind enough to oblige to record here with me and Ryan today.
2: Thanks,
1: Keith.
0: Yeah. Let's just start out by asking you a question, Keith, is through your journey into through your military service, through your police service. It looks like that you've started working towards mental health care. And I'm curious about kind of your story and how you got there. And I'm hoping you could tell us.
1: Yeah. So, you know, like you said, I was a veteran in the United States Air Force. I served from 1990 through 1997. I did two tours as part of the Desert Storm and the Gulf War. And then I ended up working as a sheriff's deputy for 21 years in Tucson, Arizona, Pima County. And now I work, I'm a county veteran service officer, so I direct an office and we help veterans navigate through the VA medical and VA benefits and the, their surviving spouses and, and work with them. And one of my big points there is helping with that mental health, helping individuals get connected with mental health services, basically based upon my own experiences. I have PTSD, I have depression, I have anxiety. And I work through those thanks to the the great care I get from the VA.
2: So, Keith, are you an outside company, sort of contracts, or, or works individually with people?
1: So, we are a county office. The state of Oregon requires every county to have a VSO office. 26 states have the same program in their states. And right now, we're working with the VA and Congress to make it a requirement that every state has a county VSO in each county to help veterans obtain and work through and receive those benefits that they earn through their sacrifice and service to our country. I did not know this existed until about three years ago. Yeah, I've never heard of anything like this before. Yeah, completely just thought that when I got out of the military, I was done. I didn't get hurt in combat or anything like that. And so I knew I had healthcare through the VA, but because I was a county employee, I had county healthcare. So I never went and sought treatment through the VA. Okay.
2: So what was it that maybe drove you to either take on this role or seek that help, you know, in the first place and and maybe no
1: longer using county, I guess? Well, when I retired from Arizona, I moved here to Oregon and the cost to get covered by my COBRA plan was almost equal to my retirement check. Wow, so yeah. that's Co- not Co- sustainable. So I said, you know what? I qualify for VA healthcare. Let's get some VA healthcare going. So I talked with them and got involved, and they, they referred me over to the office that I now occupy for just some little things like getting a VA health card. Or getting, you know, seeing if there's anything else that was out there that I might be able to qualify for, and they identified the guys that were in the office. Identified a disability that I had, hearing loss, and uh, I got service connected for the the tinnitus or tinnitus, and that was great. A couple of years later, an opening came open in the office. I was working for the county in a different position, and I somebody said, "Hey, you're a veteran. You should think about applying for this job," and so I did. And lo and behold, I got it. And now I run the office. I had to start the office over from scratch and work with that. And it, it's been great honor to help people and help veterans when they come in because it's a it's hard system to navigate. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Imagine. So you help The veterans navigate getting those services and, you know, what kind of services maybe are you helping them navigate the most or, you know, what kind of providers?
1: We work mostly with getting them service connected for those disability benefits, but also navigating them through like the healthcare benefits too, getting them signed up, explaining what a near team is or a patient care team, trying to get them set in. And then I refer a lot over to our, their whole health at the VA as well as their PTSD clinic, making sure they have those services and are willing to seek out those services. A lot of times I will have a veteran that comes in that has PTSD that is service-connected for PTSD, but won't go seek any treatment. They're like, no, no, I know how to deal with this. I'm fine. And I'll say, well, hey, if you get cancer, do you go to an oncologist? And they go, well, what's that? And I said, do you go to a cancer doctor? And like, well, yeah. And I go, well, then if you have a mental health condition, wouldn't you go to a mental health doctor, and they always kind of pause for a second and go, Hey, I should do that. So I try to get them referred in, and then I'm also in treatment with a psychiatrist and a psychologist and a group therapy, and I do some whole health stuff and you know, some other types of things to keep me together as I even have my little fidget in my hand right now and rubbing it. You've got
2: quite the support team. I'm impressed with the amount of growth, self-care resources that you're tapping into and taking advantage of for yourself. Yeah.
1: And the VA has this. A lot of people talk bad about the VA. You go to any VA hospital and you're a veteran who qualifies for that health care. they're going to take care of you. You just have to put in that effort and be willing to do it. And it's hard gosh, it's hard. But once you get through the hard, it gets so much better.
0: Now, here's my question for you, Keith. So to me, I've always looked at you as, you know, you're pretty mainly, man, you know, you were a police officer, you were in the military, you know, I've always seen you as this tough guy. And the problem that I think a lot of tough guys have is, is that thought that, hey, I can take care of this myself. What was your like main motivation for doing that? Because that's like a really impressive step to do and to take care of for yourself
1: you know, things got really dark in my life. That's the easiest way to say it. Yeah. So thoughts Amen. were there and I realized I needed that help. And I know that I, some stuff happened in my law enforcement career, especially near the end. And I remember going to my doctor, my primary care doctor, who was not a VA doctor, was not like that. And I kind of told him what I was going through. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know where to send you. No. I don't know where to refer you. I don't know who to have you talk to. So I went to the employee assistance program for the county and they do a medical triage and go, well, you're not suicidal. So go talk to your primary care doctor. And I said, well, I did. And he didn't know where to send me. And they said, well, we can't make referrals. That's interesting. So I kind of got lost into that system and scared, you know, when you're a cop and you start talking about mental health, the first thought is they're going to take away your gun and then you're going to get fired. And so you just kind of suck it up. And I retired and got through it and then came out here to Oregon and was by myself for a little bit, waiting for my wife to get moved out here. And things were dark and that dark became scary.
2: What was the final push then to, you know, to really get that help if you're okay with?
1: When I got to talk to my VA doctor and realized he deals with this all the time. And the VA really is the gold standard in treatment for PTSD. And so I felt comfortable saying, you know, I worry that when I'm in line and somebody touches my back, that I'm going to kill them. And they go, oh, yeah, that's normal. (laughs) And I'm like, wait a second. And they go, yeah, that's a normal response to somebody that has your symptoms. And so I was like, oh, well, then is this normal? And they go, well, for somebody with PTSD, yes, but not somebody who doesn't.
0: So you had just told us that, you know, You just, you knew you needed to do it.
1: Yeah. I knew that in order for me to be successful and to just live, I needed to go get treatment.
2: And so what did that treatment, yeah, or well, it is definitely the biggest step and it's really difficult to come to that realization, right? That you need help and that you probably found yourself in a place where you hoped you never would have been. And so what was some of that treatment and what did that kind of look like? I know that can be, you know, we often hear of maybe like intervention style rehabs and things like that. And it's really scary for a lot of people. I've worked at a, tre- a wonderful treatment center. You know, how beautiful that can be as well. So I don't know. So what did, what did that look like for you, Keith?
1: So, you know, the first thing they did was they referred me over to a psychiatrist. I thought of psychiatry as being like that you see on the Flintstones where you lay on a bed and you talk about things and that's not what it was. Is You know, and this was during the beginning of COVID. So we did a lot over the phone, kind of went through what my symptoms were and what I was having my biggest problems were, and we talked a little bit about what the stressor was that I thought was going to be my main focus of PTSD. And then he referred me over to a social worker and I was like, oh, okay. He started some medications mostly for, and I'm really bad at saying medication names. (laughs) So I'm on a blood pressure medicine that shuts off my adrenaline gland so that A, I quit hitting my wife in the middle of the night, quit screaming, quit hitting, quit fighting. And then I started talking to a social worker. Now at the time, because mine wasn't military related or we hadn't identified that, I kind of got the scraps. Oh, we've got an appointment here. My biggest issue was sleep. I was constantly tired. So let's go over and here we've got a position open for some sleep therapy. Let's talk about this. And I did a lot of writing and talking about what my nightmares were And then how to go work through a nightmare, how to change that nightmare, how to rewrite that story in my mind so that when I'm having a nightmare, I can do that. And even now, when I start seeing the beginning of that nightmare, I kind of go, hey, that's not right. And I can change the story. I can re-script it. And that got me to at least sleep through the night. Most nights, I still have nightmares but I know how to get through that and I know what to do when I get woken up from a nightmare. So through that things were going okay. And I started getting some sleep and started getting some treatment for some physical disabilities that I have related to my military service. And then uh, started things kind of weren't going great again. And I said, Hey, I would like to talk to somebody again. And they go, well, I want you to talk to this different social worker. She's in the military trauma arena. And I go, well, I don't think I had military trauma. And he goes, well, I want you to talk to them anyway. And so we started talking and I remember her going through and you get an introduction and you might have a couple appointments that you just kind of talking about, well, this is my childhood. This is my education. This is what I'm doing now. These are my concerns. And then she started asking questions and they were really crappy questions. Things like, hey, do you remember when this building got blown up and where you were at? And I kind of go, well, yeah, I remember that. I, that was kind of scary. And she goes, well, do you remember these bombs that were found? I go, yeah, I don't like talking about that. And she's like, why? And she, I go, well, well, because, you know, they're scary. I've kind of forgotten about them. I don't like thinking about them. And she goes, yeah, okay. And they said, yeah, that's, that's military trauma. That's what that is. You were young. You were faced with these life and death situations, and you did it. And then you kind of put it away and that changed your out view of everything. And she goes, well, let's talk about the first job you lost. Let's talk about your first divorce. Let's start talking about some of these other things and realize, yeah, some of this goes back to that military trauma that I wasn't in combat. I was next to combat. I was, you know, manning a gate. I was, you know, we were expecting the terrorists to come at any time. I watched airplanes crash. I was a firefighter in the air force. I went into buildings that were on fire and all of those things when you're 19 through 24, 25 are all adverse childhood experiences. And then you add on, you know, other childhood experiences that happened before the military And next thing you know, you're a 50-year-old man with a mental health condition.
2: Well, and you really didn't know most of what was going on with you, you know, whether it was like PTSD, anxiety, depression up until recently. Is that kind of...
1: Yeah, I can look back now and I can see the markers or the triggers. You know, the first person who even mentioned PTSD to me was an audiologist. Interesting. So my wife, who I've been married to for 20 years, we got into a little bit of an argument at a restaurant. Sky knows my wife. She's a lovely, lovely woman. I love her Very much
0: so. She's a wonderful person.
1: She's a Denver fan, but we let her into the yeah. Seahawks Club. That's okay. She's with yeah. you. <laughs> That's right. So we got into a little argument at a uh, restaurant that I don't ever listen to her, that I don't, and that I need to get my hearing fixed because I just can't hear anything. So- I went to the audiologist and I went while I was at work because I didn't want her to know that I was going, because I was going to get the audiologist report. And the next time she said I had a hearing problem, I was going to slap it down in front of her and say, no, I don't. (laughs) I'll show you. I'll show you. And so I go through, I'm in uniform and he goes through this and he goes through military stuff and he goes, yeah. So I, I take the test and yeah, I've got some hearing loss, but I don't have significant hearing loss. And he goes, you have PTSD. And I said, shut your mouth. I don't have PTSD. You're not going to take my gun. You're not going to get me fired. And he goes, no, when you're in a restaurant, you're more concerned with the loud noises behind you than you are with the person in front of you. Because those loud noises are threatening. You don't know what that is. And you have to listen for that threat to determine are you safe or not safe. And so you spend so much time with that hyper vigilance that you forget to engage with the person in front of you. And so you don't like doing things like going to loud restaurants. You don't like doing things where there's lots of people because you're always worried about that threat. And I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And he goes, so you sit in the corner back against a wall. And you are so preoccupied with everything around you that you can't focus on it. And I was like, yeah, okay, so shut up. I'm leaving. Don't mention <laughs> that to any place. Don't write that down any place. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And so that kind of sat in my mind when I started going through this treatment. And I talk about that a lot with veterans. I mentioned that a lot. Do you have this? And they're like, well, yeah well, then that might be a symptom. Here's the 17 question test the VA has. Why don't you answer that and then see what it says and come back and talk to me.
0: That must have been pretty eye-opening for you to have that realization from somebody else.
1: Yeah, it was just odd, but I couldn't, I didn't want to tell anybody. And that was even before the events that I thought triggered my PTSD triggered my PTSD. Is there a lot of shame
2: in while being in service or, or even afterwards and then being in law enforcement shame around admitting any sort of mental health, anything,
1: really? I don't like saying the word shame. You, you negative know, people, connotation. That's a better word to put it <laughs> is that they might not want you to be there. or They might, Oh, don't, you know, watch out for him or their scuttlebutt. And then when something happens, then you start worrying, well, they're going to say it happened because of my PTSD and not because of my, of the incident that happened at the time. That's
0: very interesting. You know, it's funny because I never, I never thought about thinking about the other things in your life when you think, oh, I'm okay. But then you start thinking about how you react to other things or how you act in other situations. Was there one that specifically like you thought back to and you were like, oh yeah, that's why I reacted the way I did to that. That was just kind of like a brain blast for you?
1: As I've been going through this journey, and it is a journey, I can see things in my past or my relationships or lack of relationships based upon, hey, that was probably a symptom or a a sign of PTSD.
0: And I'm sure as you're, you're working with veterans and you're seeing more of these things happen, I'm sure you're getting more familiar with the signs of PTSD to help identify it in a broader spectrum.
1: Yes, very much so. And trying to explain that there is no shame with it. And I talk a lot about adverse childhood experiences. I talk about the prefrontal cortex not fully developing until 26. So before that, you kind of refer to under stress the four F's, food, fight, flight, fun, and reproduction. Reproduction's not an (laughs) F.
0: Just kidding. I got gotcha. you.
1: You start talking about that and then, you know, they'll go, well, yeah, I had, you know, when I came back from Africa, you know, I had four kids in six years. You were looking for that bond.
2: Just to piggyback on on something you said, Keith, on the ACEs is kind of what it's called, the adverse childhood experiences. And there's like a, an assessment for that. And usually it's about just like a 10 to 11 question survey and you know, big corporations like Kaiser use this, and it's really fascinating. The more that you score on this test, you know, the more likely you are to develop alcoholism, the more likely you are to have heart disease, you know, and, and just by some of the adverse childhood experiences that we would go through, you know, during the course of our childhood, you know, whether that's like having a parent with a mental health issue, whether that's knowing somebody who committed suicide or having any sort of abuse in the house, all those little things kind of tick up. And it's remarkable just how much they affect our physical health as well you know, over the years.
1: Yeah. They use it a lot in education, and that's where I was exposed to it. And I remember the first time I took that test, and they always referred to it as somebody who was 18 and under. Did this happen? And then as you kind of broaden that to that 26, if you're not a fully an adult by brain standards until you're 26... 25, you almost have to take that extra seven years and add them in there. So you take a bunch of 18 year olds, 19 year olds, you train them, you yell at them for six weeks, throw them into a unit for a year, and then send them out to combat. They're 19, 20, 21. That's an adverse childhood experience because they are still kids. They might be able to do that reproduction thing, they might be able to buy alcohol, they might be able to smoke cigarettes, but they are still a kid. And I think any adult that has kids that age still sees them as a kid.
0: I agree with that. Yeah. I had to have an, an argument with my father about the fact that I'm not a kid anymore. And, you know, it's funny cause I, you know, I thought I was so grown up when I was you know, 23, 24, but it's only been until recently, uh, like within the last year and a half or so that I finally feel like an adult. So when someone asks for an adult, I need to be there <laughs> so I can understand. And, You having, I know that you have a son who's in the military currently. Do you have, as you're going through this, are you having more concerns about it as you're exploring mental health?
1: Oh, of course. And I talk freely with him about it. Same with my son-in-law who's up there in Seattle area. I talk with him about it as well. Is to seek out these treatments that they have to talk to the people, the professionals, And that, heck, I worked undercover narcotics. I used to grow a beard, have a mohawk. If I'm willing to go talk, then there's no shame in going and talking.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: And it affects other body systems as well. And that's where the concern hence lies. As I now take six or seven different medications a day, trying to get some of that health back
2: has there been a favorite treatment of yours or or maybe a few or two uh, that you found most beneficial or?
1: I think the one that I use the most is the cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, because I'm a very linear thinker, which might be a result of my PTSD, is that I like to have, oh, I'm feeling this right now. I know why I feel this. And this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, it doesn't always help. That's the anxiety and the brain chemicals and things like that. But at least I can get myself through that moment and go on with it. And then, you know, the more times I do it, the more my brain's going to rewire that that's normal and like that. Now, this has only been a couple years. So, whereas I thought, oh, I'm in therapy, I'm better. <laughs> Not quite that way. I'm going to be in therapy forever. But if you have cancer, you are always being screened for cancer forever. Yeah,
2: you know, and it takes more than the one hour a week or maybe one hour every other week. You know that we're you know visiting or talking to our therapist. It's really the work that we're doing. You know, hopefully taking those skills, coping mechanisms, concepts into the week, and really you know applying them daily
1: into our life. Right, and I imagine doing that's where you see doing your homework. You have to do the homework. And you have to write the words and you have to say them and you have to understand them.
0: What was the hardest thing for you to adapt to as you were going through your journey? Like what's, what's been the hardest lesson for you to learn and to apply to yourself that maybe other people are having the same issue as they're trying to, you know, go through their own mental health journey.
1: That the feelings that I have, the, the, the other physical ailments that I have are not normal that not everybody in the world feels this way. Not everybody in the world has irritable bowel syndrome. Not everybody in the world has sleep. Night terrors. Yeah. Not everybody has night terrors and how the interesting part is kind of the puzzle pieces too, is that, okay, so I'm waking up two or three times a night because I'm having nightmares and that's my brain, you know, dealing with that and it constantly on my mind. But then I also have this gerd going on. So I wake up and I throw up and I don't know that I'm throwing up because of that. You know, and then I have this sinus issues to where my sinuses are constantly infected and that runs down my throat. So I think it's all part of that. And then I get a doctor, a sinus doctor out there goes, hey, I think you might have sleep apnea. And so, hey, now let's start that sleep treatment so that I can get better sleep. I can have all these things kind of get better. And then maybe I'm not tired all the time and having that tired become depression.
0: I can't even stress enough how important sleep is to mental health. When I was having some really bad issues, some really bad depression, I was having night terror. So I can empathize with that a little bit. Definitely not the same images you were probably seeing, but that waking up screaming and not being able to sleep can really affect you. So I imagine it changed your. You know, it changed your life when you could finally sleep again. I'm
1: still not absolutely there. I'm working on it as I did not get a good night's sleep last night and I can feel it today, but I recognize, wow, this is the way I used to feel. This sucks and it's not as bad as it has been. So, you know, it's getting better. The other thing too is the long-term health effects. Okay. So if I've had high blood pressure for a long time and I'm now working on controlling that, I have a greater chance of having dementia. Well, that scares me later on because, well, I don't want that long goodbye. I don't want my family to have to go through what I see others go through. So I want to get ahead of this ball so that 70-year-old Keith is not who I want. And I don't want to leave it for 70-year-old Keith to deal with. If I can do a little bit now to prevent that or to delay that or to have a better outcome with treatment later. I want to do that now. Do
0: you find yourself now in your current position? Not only does it help you mentally, but are you finding that you can help? Are you helping more younger guys or more older guys? And are they are they pretty receptive to the idea that they have PTSD?
1: Most of my clients are older. The ones that have really taken to doing the PTSD treatment or reaching out for it have been the ones that are my age that first Gulf storm, Gulf war group of veterans, we're kind of in this lost category is that we still have a lot of the old systems were in place when we were in and got out, but we are really close to these new systems of treatment. So a lot of the guys in in Operation Iraqi Freedom are enduring the Afghanistan campaigns when they're getting out, they're getting a lot more VA treatment, a lot more VA resources than I got. I got a phone call the other day from a guy. I had him, he was in my office. I got him engaged with the VA healthcare, told him about the VA clinic and got him engaged with that. And he called up the other day saying that it's hard, but he's better. He's getting better. And he thanked me for just doing that because he didn't think about it. He didn't know that that's what was going on with him. He just thought that he was a curmudgeon and that he just liked to be alone. And I talk a lot with these guys about joy thieves, time thieves, and pleasure thieves. You know, when you're married and you don't go to the Gem and Mineral show because you don't want to deal with all the people, and so your wife doesn't go, but that's something she enjoys, you stole that joy from her. When you don't want to take your grandchild to Chuck E. Cheese because it's noisy, because you don't have systems in place to deal with that, you're stealing that joy from your grandchild. You don't want to go to the football game because you're going to be right on top of somebody. It steals that joy from yourself for enjoying that football game. Those are all time thieves because you worry about it. And those are joy thieves because the people you that you want to have fun with, the people that you enjoy spending time with, they're gone. That You can't have that time back. And so it's important that you recognize that, and then you learn these skills on how to bring that back. I'm never going to like going to a gem show. There is, (laughs) well, I've started tumbling rocks because I've turned 50 recently. So I have a bird feeder. I have a bird house that, you know, I've put together and now I'm tumbling rocks. So I might at some point want to go to a gem show, but I'm not going (laughs) to enjoy it. But my wife will. And seeing her enjoy something, I'll get that enjoyment.
0: What a realization, what a change in, in your mentality when you're looking at going to do things. Right.
1: Now, I still realize it's hard. I had to go to a convention by myself recently, and there was a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. And boy, it took me a little while to get through it. And I pushed myself, and I'm proud that I, I pushed myself out there because that's going to help rewire my brain to say that this is Okay. But it was hard. And when I came back, I talked with my psychiatrist, a new one, because mine retired. And I said, you know, maybe it's time now for me to start the anxiety medicine. Maybe I need that little help to get me into being able to do that. I didn't want to take any medicines other than the blood pressure medicine, because my kicking and screaming at night keeps my wife awake, which then takes joy away from her. But I thought, you know, maybe it's time now that I start looking into that and go let's see how I feel let's see if I can get rid of some of these anxieties that they don't go away i know how to deal with them but i don't want it to take up that much time
2: yeah that makes a lot of sense keith what's it been like you know it sounds like you and you can correct me if i'm wrong here or or the way i'm framing this you know in a lot of ways we're sort of suffering all on your own didn't necessarily have like the language to even describe what you were going through or to, or to even Piece together that, you know, part of what was going on with you was because of this PTSD, anxiety, depression. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you are in group therapy, you're working with other veterans, you're helping people all the time. I mean, you're getting to use, you know, all these things that not only you're probably learning in therapy and from all the other resources, but now you're getting to also talk to all these guys about, you know, your your shared experiences out there. And yeah, what has that whole process been like?
1: It's humbling when I have somebody after I get up and go to the Elks Lodge for dinner and and they ask me to get up and speak and I talk about a little bit of my life and I talk about the bullshit that I've had to deal with and the stuff that I've done. And they're like, really, you did that? And then I say, I have a mental health condition. I want treatment. And somebody will come up to me and they look really sheepish. And they're like, how do I get started? Because the same things that you went through are the things I'm going through. You know, these same veterans will show up at other functions and they'll start talking to other people about me saying, go talk to him. Go see what he can do to get you started. And that's all I do is I'm just that starting point. I'm the traffic cop. Oh, you've got this, go over here. Oh, you've got (laughs) this, I got you here. You know, come on, come on, get. let's start moving. And sometimes it takes more than one outreach. It takes more than one contact. It takes more than one story to tell, to do it. But as I learn, and I learn about, you know, the skills that I got in like the CBT, avoidance, and things like that, I start, you know, I'm able to talk to it from a position, not an expert. I'm, I don't have a degree in this, but I can talk to you about what I've gone through and like this. And the biggest thing that I have to remind everybody, it gets hard. You know, I remember having to fill out my, my nightmare journal and I was having, I always said I had two or three a week. You know, I was on to two or three a night and being scared to go to bed because I didn't want to do it. But you have to get to that point in the process to be able to get to the next point. When you start working out, you got to break down those muscles to be able to start rebuilding those muscles. And that's what I'm doing is I'm breaking down my neurons in my brain to rebuild them and to re-engage those areas so that I don't have those nightmares anymore. I'm still going to have things that are going to remind me. In three days is June 24th. Which is the day Cobar Towers. And it's always a trigger when it was blown up. It's always a trigger. I stayed in that building when I was there in 1992. I just got back into country the day before that happened. Wow. And the only thing that, you know, that could have been me right there in that building, people from my base were of the 19 killed and the unit that I supported. And that becomes a realization and it becomes hard. Part of my office here, I I, we watch movies because my number two in the office, she's an Air Force veteran. She doesn't always understand what World War II is, you know. So we watch videos, we watch movies about World War II, and make sure that we also watch like Black Hawk Down. I can't watch Black Hawk Down. I wasn't there, but the aircraft that I supported was, and so I have an award for being part of that campaign. But the building I was at, the hotel that we were billeted in, we had a car bomb go off in the parking lot right at that same time. And you forget about that when you're 19. You just pack that away and put it down. And then all of a sudden, it comes up. And you don't know why when you're 50, you're sitting at the car going, well, my time's over. Don't want to think about it anymore.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. I know that talking through some of the stuff that triggers us is really difficult at times, but I think that having the difficult conversations is what's important. And that's, what's really going to show people that, that you care and that you're working through it and that you're an advocate for people who
1: are going through the same thing you are. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And I want others. I want other veterans. I want everybody out there that's been through something like that to recognize that it could be anybody. It could be any that goes through this that could have that happen to you. You know, I was was reading today about sex abuse in the church. Those individuals might have sexual trauma, you know, military sexual trauma is another side of it that I have a lot of guys that come up and say, yeah, this happened to me and I didn't know who to talk to or I've never told anybody that this happened and they'll speak. Tell me about it because I've talked about my own, my own events, my own stuff. And I also have like badges on my wall that show "Uh, me, he man, me tough guy, me kick John Wayne ass because John Wayne never go in military. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find that it
0: weighs on you when people share their stories or do you find it kind of inspiring that people are sharing with you and that you can help them get to their next step in their journey? Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: <laughs> That's fair.
0: A little bit of um, both.
1: It, it can weigh on me. We do have some office policies. One of the forms, you have to kind of describe what the trauma was. I don't fill out that form for people. I tell them to, to do it. Even when they come in and, oh, I can't write very well. I don't care. It's not for me to take on that story. It's not for me to write that story for you because I have trauma. I don't want to get triggered by it. I have a life to deal with as well. I will help you and I'll, I'll work through it with you. And then, hey, I want you to call these people next so that I'm not just taking this and not being trauma informed and recognizing that it's going to bring up memories. It's going to bring up stuff. So here, talk to these people. Here's a coin. I have a coin in my office and on the back side of it. Yee- oh, that's oh, great. It's, it's not um, for me. I so, can see it. Yeah, so the for
0: people listening, it's a coin that says dial nine eight eight, which is of course the suicide awareness line and the suicide yeah. hotline.
1: Um, it's not just that. It is the suicide prevention lifeline. When you're a veteran, you press one and it does a whole lot. You know, it might talk you down from that moment, but it might also get you engaged in VA healthcare, get you signed up, and get you a priority in getting treatment right now or referring you to the nearest hospital that will accept a VA patient for in treatment. Or sometimes you just need to, I don't know who to talk to, and they'll refer them to my office. I get that every so often because I'm in the 211 directory as well. They'll Google 211, Lincoln County, Oregon veteran, and it comes up to my office and we end up talking to them. So what's the biggest thing someone who's not
0: in the military or has never had military experience, what can we do to help encourage our, you know, maybe military friends or or family members who we might see need to talk about it? What's the best thing we can do in order to help them and direct them without pushing them too much?
1: I think referring them to the VA, encourage them to get involved in the VA, the v- VA has a bad name to a lot of people, yeah. either their engagement with them previously wasn't spectacular, but it's not my job to rehabilitate their image, but my healthcare has been great. They send me my medications. They send me my sleep apnea machine. They schedule me. Heck, I have a coach that I didn't weigh in today. And he sent me a note saying, Hey, you didn't weigh in today because they want me to be healthy. They want me to be happy. They want me to receive those services. The secretary of the VA was in the conference I was at. He said, we want to get to yes. When we're dealing with this, we want to get to yes. We want you to be healthy. So many people think of the VA as being the beds lined up in the hallway like Forrest Gump. It is not. I mean, it's It's loud and you have to deal with veterans, but it is great health care. And I've been in both civilian health care. I mean, I know my county, every two years, they changed insurance companies because they would get a better deal. Well, if my provider didn't accept the new insurance company, then I had to find a new doctor. And, which is frustrating. Which is frustrating because then you have to retell all these stories and then you have to uh, wait six months to get in. And if you're having something acute right now, they just tell you to go to urgent care which then there's very little record of that. Here, all my health is in one place. I'm going to the dentist next month. I'm going over to Europe. I know what military bases I can get onto if I need to for health care. Boy, how many, can you go to your doctor if you go over to to Germany right now? No, I, I, I don't think so. I,
2: I was just going to say, I, I had no idea about that kind of service. That's you know sort of remarkable.
1: Yeah, they have VA hospitals in Locations where there are a lot of veterans, the Philippines has a VA hospital because a lot of Americans have that would receive care have lived, live now in the Philippines. And so they have a VA hospital.
0: How wonderful. What an awesome service for the government to have for people who don't live here in the States anymore. Yeah. Kaiser Permanente does
1: not have that.
2: Nope, <laughs> but it does almost sound like the VA is is similar to Kaiser as far as like it's sort of wraparound services, you know that it's not only insurance slash healthcare side, but it's also you know in the in the business of providing the, the care as well. Absolutely.
1: Now, a lot of people don't understand, and sometimes when I'm talking with social workers at hospitals, VA healthcare is not insurance; it's a benefit. So that puts some barriers up sometimes because you have to go to a VA clinic or you have to go to a VA hospital to receive care, or you have to be referred through the patient care team or the near team to community care. And then they have an insurance company that they work through to get you that care. And sometimes people go, ah, why can't I just go to the guy on the corner? Well, that guy on the corner might not accept a VA health care. And VA healthcare pays the same rates as Medicare. So some offices put limits. We'll only accept so many of these patients. And when we've accepted them, we're not accepting another That's one. A, yeah. But that is just healthcare in the United States. Sure.
0: Man. Well, yeah, I mean, thanks so much for, for sharing with us today. I think, you know, we're getting close to the end of the hour for everybody. And, and you know, we don't want to hold you up. And, you know, we, we want to ap- appreciate your time. But I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling your story. That's what this is really all about. This podcast is getting men on here to talk about their journeys and their stories and their struggles, because the more we talk about it, the the more normalized it will be. And we can all help end that stigma together.
1: Absolutely. It is normal. And at the same time, it's not normal.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Ryan, do you have do you have anything to add or Keith, do you have anything to add before we sign out today?
1: I just go Hawks.
0: Yeah, go Hawks. <laughs> Keith, can can people reach out to
1: you from other states? If they listen to our podcast, can they reach out somewhere? To- and you are looking for somebody that provides these type of services, go on the VA website and look for, there's a reach out to that VSO, Veteran Service Officer. I am able to provide services to Lincoln County, Oregon residents. To those VSOs, I at the meeting I was just at, the conference Every one of them. If you're in a state that doesn't have VSOs, look for the DAV, Disabled American Veterans. Look for the American Legion. Look for the VFW. Look for the Purple Heart Association. Look for the Vietnam Veterans Association. Look for the Marine Corps League. Look for... I'm trying to think. There's lots of organizations out there and they should all have a way to contact and be put in contact with somebody to look for that help. And if you can't find anybody, dial 988, press one. They will help you find that person.
2: That's awesome. Thank you so much for that huge list of resources. Yeah, Keith, thank you so much. I mean, it's really having that first place to start and you being kind of that point person for people when they're first reaching out is really it's a it's a huge benefit and and it's one of the hardest parts of finally, you know, seeking any sort of treatment. You know, so really appreciate you know what you're doing over there.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys. I like the concept of this and I really hope that people are listening and getting good information and realize that there are services out there. And boy, if you want to have a better a better mental health, you want to have better relationships with your children and your family and your spouses and your parents, reach out for those services and they're there.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Keith. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to us today here at Heyman. It's okay. We hope that you heard some information that was good for you. We hope you you know maybe help you find some resources that you didn't know that were available to you if you're a veteran.
2: And uh, please comment, like, subscribe, engage with us. We'd love to uh, hear you guys' feedback. Yeah, visit so our
0: website, okay.com. We have resources. There's bios of Ryan and I on there. And there's also really useful donation links down at the bottom if you want to support us, if you want to support the suicide hotline, the 988. We have them down there too. So until next time, remember that it's okay to not be okay.